Welcome to the Dakota Live Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Morier. The goal of this podcast is to help you better know the people behind investment decisions. We introduce you to chief investment officers, manager research professionals, and other industry leaders to help you sell in between the lines and better understand the investment sales ecosystem. If you're not familiar with Dakota and their Dakota Live content, please check out our website at dakota.com. This content is provided for informational purposes and should not be relied upon as recommendations or advice about investing in securities. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Dakota does not guarantee the accuracy of any of the information provided by the speaker who is not affiliated with Dakota. Not a solicitation, testimonial, or an endorsement by Dakota or its affiliates. Nothing herein is intended to indicate approval, support, or recommendation of the investment advisor or its supervised persons by Dakota. Today's episode is brought to you by Dakota Marketplace. Are you tired of constantly jumping between multiple databases and channels to find the right investment opportunities? Introducing Dakota Marketplace, the comprehensive institutional and intermediary database built by fundraisers for fundraisers. With Dakota Marketplace, you'll have access to all channels and asset classes in one place, saving you time and streamlining your fundraising process. Say goodbye to the frustration of searching through multiple databases and say hello to a seamless and efficient fundraising experience. Sign up now and see the difference Dakota Marketplace can make for you. Visit dakotamarketplace.com today. We are very excited to re-release this past episode with Tim Chubb, Chief Investment Officer of Girard. Girard is the Wealth and Investment Management Division of Univest Financial Corporation with $4.5 billion in assets under management and $7.8 billion in assets respectively. Girard and Univest Trust Company advise clients that include private wealth, investment management, and consultant relationships for municipal pension, retirement, nonprofit, and foundation assets. Tim is the Chief Investment Officer of Girard, where he is responsible for managing the investment research and portfolio management teams, supporting manager due diligence, asset allocation decisions, and investment communications. Tim also serves as a portfolio manager and healthcare analyst for the U.S. multi-cap equity strategies at the firm. He is a frequent commentator in the financial media and an invited speaker. Tim joined Girard Partners in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania as a research analyst in 2012, prior to the registered investment advisor being acquired by Univest in 2014. Tim graduated with a BS in finance from Westchester University, where he remains involved as an alumnus, serving on a board dedicated to various community service efforts in the greater Philadelphia area. He is a CFA Society of Philadelphia member and was selected by the Philadelphia Business Journal in 2018 as a 40 under 40 honoree. Tim and his wife proudly call Westchester, Pennsylvania their home. The team better understand Tim's approach to manager research and asset allocation in this insightful conversation. We look forward to hearing more from the team. Over to you. Tim, thank you again for being here. My pleasure. Uh, so why don't we just start, give us an overview of Gerard. Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned in the bio, I joined the firm uh, when we were an independent registered investment advisor in 2012. Um, we were really managing about 350 million in assets. Uh, really catering towards massive fluent high net worth clients and you know i came on to really help out with manager due diligence as an analyst uh, as well as you know support our, our equity research efforts and so um, we had succession planning um, you know things to consider um, with an aging partner and ultimately we decided to um, partner with with univest uh, financial uh, which is a, a bank up in south arts in pennsylvania and um, continue to you know, grow our business so um, Gerard's name comes from the old Gerard Bank and Trust and Deep Philadelphia Investment Management and Roots. Um, actually, one of our founders, Rich Seidel, was a mentor of mine. 
uh, he decided to, as you know, the uh, BNY Mellon acquisition was going on, um, to grab the names. And uh, after uh, starting cash management business and, and selling it to uh, Leg Mason, uh, they opened up our doors, you know, as the RA back in 1999. But um, Univest has been a bank uh, since 1876, so coming up on 100, um, you know, 50 years or so now. And uh, it's been, you know, really a wonderful partner for us to continue to really just focus on our business, our clients, uh, providing them the resources and, and um, um, thought leadership that they're, they're ultimately seeking without, you know, a lot of the distractions. And so um, ultimately our, our business, um, our trust side of the business uh, started managing money in 1928. Um, so we've had a long history, you know, working with clients, um, both in, you know, predecessor drawer bank uh, to drawing partners and, and of course, you know, across the entire universe platform. So starting in 2012 with 350 million, now close to what, four and a half billion in assets? Yeah, we're, we're approaching 5 billion. Um, and, you know, like a lot of other, you know, bank-owned wealth and investment management teams um, built through acquisition. So we had a pension business that uh, really catered to municipal pension plans. Uh, we have private wealth uh, clients that uh, everywhere from massive fluent, ultra high net worth, you know, multi-generational uh, assets. Um, and then a lot of nonprofits, foundations. And so Bringing all those people together when I took over as um, our chief investment officer in 2017 was you know, obviously goal number one. Uh, we still had you know, individuals doing in research, you know, really in silos. And so we had all these wonderful uh, investment ideas, these professionals that have been working rather independently, um, but philosophically, we we're very much on the same page. And so uh, as our team has grown, we brought in some, some new uh, wonderful talent, uh, but uh, you know, the core of the team has worked together for a really long time now, um, since we were acquired in, in, in um, almost you know ten years ago, um, but also you know even pre pre deceased you know, pre um, seeding us you know being acquired you know quite a bit of tenure there. Got it. Great. No, that's fantastic background and, and history. And you just touched on this with the team, and it sounds like you know you've put in a lot of procedures and processes almost to centralize what you guys are doing and how you guys are thinking about it. So you can you just spend a little bit of time on the investment team. You know, who's on that team? How are you guys working together? And then how are you ultimately sourcing investment ideas and building portfolios? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we have an investment committee that I, I chair, uh, seven voting members. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about committees and being nimble. And, and we've thought uh, a lot about that and how we can, you know, continually um, be active in, in expressing our views and ideas within our client portfolios without um, getting really caught up in some of the bureaucracy and being able to get things done. So, uh, ultimately, our investment committee, we meet, you know, twice a month, if not more regularly than that. Um, the team itself, you know, we get together and huddle up multiple times a week. Um, Thursday mornings is a big one, you know, as well as, you know, a lot of our um, specific, you know, sort of pods. And so um, with our business, you know, managing individual equities in-house, uh, we have a group that really focuses on just, you know, the equity research process. So uh, I co-PM those strategies with my colleague, Bruce Freeston. Um, Bruce has been with Univest um, and the trust side of things for about 15 years now, uh, worked at Vanguard prior to that. Um, and it really are complimentary. He's you know, more of a value uh, person, more of a, a GARP, you know, growth-oriented manager. Um, and so we really work well together and then have some analysts that support us um, in addition to our own analyst responsibilities. Uh, from a manager due diligence standpoint, uh, that team is, is run by Nate Rosenberg. Um, they joined our team, you know, probably coming up on 10 years now. Uh, it's been in the role for five or six. And um, like you know, our, our equity research process where we have sector coverage, um, although everyone does have some, some generalist, you know, type of, of characteristics to their role, um, each person who's on our manager due diligence team uh, really focused on an asset class. And so, for example, I cover 
our international suite. Um, so, you know, EM developed XUS, um, thinking about how that's going to fit into the portfolio and really, you know, all doing the ongoing manager due diligence um, with with our you know list of, of um, approved managers and preferred managers there. So, um, from a sourcing standpoint, you know, we um, take inbound calls and, and, and emails. I find it's really helpful to just given the volume of them to get a deck and, and digest that. And, and Nate and I are constantly working and sourcing and talking to people and sharing our ideas, uh, making a really great partnership to um, really, I, I guess, you know, spread the scope of, of what we're looking for. Um, he talks to firms that I don't speak to. We come together, we share ideas. Um, and then ultimately, if, you know, the, those ideas are, you know, something we would like to present to the, the team, I'll go through the process within the investment committee to get the approval, sizing the allocation, you know, things along those lines. Um, but I, I generally run most of the asset allocation work within the, the firm. Um, and, and we have a, you know, pretty rigorous process of how we think about active decisions within the portfolio to uh, express those views and, and try to limit those as much as we possibly can, really focus on the ones that we think we have an edge in uh, providing value for. Um, but, you know, on an ongoing basis, that's that's the team that takes care of, you know, the manager work. And, um, yeah, it's everything from, you know, ETF selection, um, mutual fund um, selection, SMA managers, and alternatives. Well, let's, uh, let's dig into the alternatives since you brought it up there. Right at the end, just allocating two alternatives. How do you think about it, investing in alternatives? Is it, is it across the board for your client base, whether it's, it's longer lockup private alternatives or even liquid alternatives? Sure. Um, you know, we, we, we've thought a lot about alternatives over the years and, and, you know, we think of ourselves as these you know, long-term investors and, uh, you know, when we're getting an enormous amount of really exciting opportunities in our inbox, um, as Ulta been more democratized, we've really taken a step back to say, you know, what is, what are we solving for here? You know, thinking about, um, it from the, the perspective of, you know, do no harm, our clients are thrilled, you know, with our portfolios of public and, uh, equities and fixed income and. Um, since we manage, you know, a good portion of our clients' assets in-house, uh, the fees are very low. So they're really getting active and passive, you know, in, in, in the areas that we think are, you know, ideal for, for providing, um, you know, additional compensation over above the, the benchmark. Um, with alts, you know, we have such a diverse client base. Um, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, families with 50,000 investable assets to uh, hundreds of millions of dollars investable assets, pension clients. Um, I mentioned you know, a lot of our institutional nonprofit and foundation clients, and um, ultimately, you know, finding one solution for all of them is really impossible. Um, so, for the better part of the last, I'd say two, uh, maybe even longer, you know, years now, um, we kind of had in the back burner, you know, passively over time, trying to think thoughtfully of, you know, how do we want to access these asset classes? Which are the ones that we need to be in? Who are the managers that we really think philosophically fit with what we're trying to accomplish for our clients? And what's a you know differentiated way in, in offering it? Um, you know, trying to ultimately uh, streamline a lot of the operations and um, you know back end you know heavy lifting that goes into accessing alternatives for our clients. Uh, trying to outsource that has been something we've talked quite a bit about. Uh, launching a fund uh, funds you know ourselves in house and reverse is just going direct. And so um, it's been uh, exciting you know to see you know the growth in the product and and also uh, opportunities that we would you know consider over the years. Um, but you know the tail end of an economic cycle, when every inbox is you know coming from a private credit manager, uh, <laughs> we've, we've kind of taken a step back and, and said, okay, you know we we aren't market timers, so we want to be thoughtful about when we start making these these long term allocations. You know, trusting the managers that put capital to work in an appropriate way, um, but also you know for clients who haven't accessed these assets before, having that long term view, you know, education is such a big part of what we do, and 
Um, all my team, I, I have a client portfolio manager, uh, Mark Balser, who runs uh, really investment communications and, and, and strategy uh, for the firm. And so, you know, his job is educating our clients on, on what they own and what we are, you know, considering recommending to them, uh, as well as our advisory team, you know, which is all over the place. We've got office in Florida and all over Pennsylvania, Maryland, and and um, so on and so forth. So. Um, that's a, it's a really big part in, in thinking, you know, thoughtfully about the governance as well. So you, you you touched on potentially creating your own fund structure or outsourcing it. Do you all work with any outsource partners on the alt side, whether it's a Glass or an iCapital? We hear that name quite a bit in the well, yeah, space. Nothing yet. Um, you know, Nate and I, again, just um, you know, even though we may not be you know, always the most responsive at times, like I, I constantly reading and, and working through my inbox to see what's out there. You know who can be a great partner for us to, to work with long term, um, and that's really how we, we think about it. Okay. You know, with our active managers on our, our public side of things as well, um, it's a short list. We're really selective. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of turnover, um, and you know, we really want to be patient and, and let you know the uh, the value proposition play out over over the market cycle. So, um, very similar situation with the alts, and um, again, just taking our time and not expecting that we'll bottom tick. You know, this, but. Um, looking forward to, to allocating when there may be an absent um, liquidity. Great. That's awesome. Thanks for all that insight. And similar to alternatives, especially in the RIA space, you know, a topic that's been present, I think, for the last three to five years of how to solve for it. Another topic that's been kind of top of mind in the last three to five years has been DEI and uh, ESG. Can you just talk about how you guys are approaching that? Obviously, you have a very diverse kind of underlying client base. But how do you guys think about ESG and DNI? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really subjective in a lot of ways. I mean, governance is really the easiest one. We spend an enormous amount of time understanding the governance of you know our managers themselves and the operations, the compensation structure, making sure that um, that is all aligned up and down from you know CIO to PM to analyst uh, with our clients and, and and the results that we're seeking. Um, and so you know, looking at um, client preferences related to environmental or social um, restrictions, they tend to be really easy to implement within our client portfolios. Um, most of our managers, you know, are going to, um, you know, be higher quality. Like they're not going to own um, the business that's, you know, questionably, you know, interlinked with the, you know, uh, uh, communist party in, in charge of the country and, you know, having some of those, um, you know, potential conflicts. And so as a result, like we look at the data, we, we talk to our clients who care about it. Um, and, and show them that, hey, you know, we, we do have, um, you know, really favor, you know, a lot of the, um, again, subjective, you know, ESG characteristics that, you know, they might be looking for. But most of the work is just exclusionary. Um, certain areas in the market, they just want to completely avoid. And for us to be able to do, um, you know, the, the large piece of the domestic equity portion of our clients' uh, assets in-house, um, we're only owning, you know, 30, 40 really high-quality companies at the time. Yeah. So pretty easy for us to, to customize a portfolio and really personalize it um, to, to meet those, the values of the clients and implement that. Got it. All right. So you gave us a, a good overview of the team sourcing investment ideas, right? So ultimately, right, we're, we're calling on you and Nate as an example. And then kind of what, is that, what does that process look like in, in terms of what is a win at Gerard, right? Is there an approve list or, or select list or, or do you have discretionary models where you're, you're plugging in a manager and there's a mapping of assets immediately, or is it kind of a advisor by advisor allocating basis? Yeah, it, it's, it's, um, you know, what we've spent a lot of time on, you know, since, uh, you know, last six, seven years now, since I had taken over is 
really trying to streamline that into uh, making sure our best ideas, our best, you know, managers are, are in our clients' portfolios and um, really being selective around that. And so we've gone through a lot of consolidation, you know, of, of, of the models that existed within each of the lines of business um, and really just have one centralized view. You know, we, we run a taxable and tax efficient, you know, a fixed income sleeve uh, for our clients. And there is, you know, some customization around, you know, vehicle, whether it's SMA or if we're going to run a ladder in house or, um, you know, do they want to have some of the satellite managers that we really like to allocate in, in credit or, or securitized uh, multi-sector, you know, exposure. And, but, you know, from a duration standpoint, from a credit standpoint, there's a lot of consistency. Well, there's tremendous amount of consistency across, you know, um, both of those, the, those two strategies. Um, and that's something that we think about, you know, as an investment committee constantly. It's, you know, what are the active decisions that we're making related to duration? And what are the active decisions by selecting these managers making? Um, that ultimately impact our portfolios. We you know, roll it up and, and understand how it's going to work with one another. Um, same thing with international. We have our core sleeve. We have our core managers, um, and then you know, obviously the same on the domestic equity side of things for for clients who you know aren't purchasing uh, or, or recommended you know one of our, our three core uh, multi cap equity strategies. So you know, as far as a win, um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, our, our, our list is small. Uh, we do have a bench in, in certain areas that's bigger than others. Um, you know, being that we have retirement plan assets, we've got multiple custodians, you know, sometimes getting access to some of our favorite strategies that, you know, either soft or hard close can be difficult. And so, um, you know, it starts with a screen and we really try hard to figure out what that investable universe for us would look like. We don't want to bring in managers we would never, ever consider, um, and really compare, you know, apples to apples as best as we can, which can be challenging depending upon, you know, ultimately what we're looking for. Um, and then from there, you know, we, we go through, you know, uh, really, you know, as we kind of bring it down to three to five managers, we have our, our, our questionnaire, our due diligence questionnaire, uh, we have our Q and A, you know, that we really want to focus on, um, during the call, you know, with teams that with the decision makers, which is really always valuable for us to, um, really hear directly and trying to understand just how engages the portfolio manager, how do they work with the analysts? Um, and, and being that we, we do a lot of, you know, we manage those equities in house. I, I think, you know, we have, a, a maybe a little bit of a different perspective in being able to, uh, disintermediate, um, you know, that, you know, that with, with, in the interview process. So I guess long story short, you know, we, we replace a manager. It's typically, you know, one for one swap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, as, as we, you know, continue to grow out our bench over time, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll have some managers we have a lot of familiarity with, you know, at the ready, if we, we do have a, an event where we need to move on from somebody. Awesome. That's great. Appreciate that color. Uh, you just mentioned access to managers. Um, do you all invest in boutiques? And then I guess the follow-up question there that everybody would ask is how do you define a boutique? Are you looking at newer strategies, lower track record, maybe lower asset base? Just how do you guys think about that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. Cause I, I think, you know, as you imply, like you ask different firms, there's going to have different opinions. I mean, for us, boutique is different from emerging. Um, we love boutique managers. We, we really enjoy working with firms that, you know, maybe have some small teams where we get tremendous access to them. Um, and, you know, as an equity manager, also, you know, doing the asset allocation work, it really helps me think about what they're seeing in those markets, you know, how, um, really, you know, they can form our, our views and ideas and, and maybe see something that, you know, we missed or, um, help us think about positioning, you know, in that environment, a little bit different if we want to change our allocation to that manager, as far as, 
um, the percentage within each of the individual sleeves. So um, overall, I mean, it, it's, um, I, I guess, really important for us you know, to have some of the decision maker, you know, at, at least involved in an early conversation. It's not something that we you know, need to have every single time we're doing a manager meeting. Um, we tend to do, you know, two to three you know, check-ins a year. Um, and obviously, if there's something that comes up between, you know, um, check-ins, you know, we'll, we'll reach out, but really trying to understand um, when they're going to underperform. And it's, you know, a when, not a if. Mm-hmm. And we want to be great partners long-term. And if we're not properly diversifying the portfolio and that risk with other managers and other allocations within the portfolio, um, we're not doing our job, right? And so, you know, I, I hate when I hear, um, you know, from, from, from your side a little bit, you know, just the... Um, coming in, you know, when everyone's running to the, the end, the, you know, one side of the boat at the worst possible time. Cool. Um, and then, you know, quickly firing when it's the absolute perfect time, you know, yep. usually to actually make a larger allocation yep. and then stick with, you know, the manager you've done so much due diligence on. Yeah. Um, we'll just build on that a little bit on emerging managers. You talked about a screen on the upfront. Is there, are there certain thresholds that you guys have in place or, I mean, have you ever seen a manager kind of spin out you have familiarity with them from a prior firm we, yeah we'd be an early adopter we, we would be um for you know a manager uh and, and that's a perfect example like you know for an emerging manager uh with no track record you know we're, we're going to be pretty reluctant to, to make an allocation uh we need to see some size in the strategy for us to make an allocation to it i mean it's kind of a double-edged sword like we're really selective but if you're on our list and in our models and um you know we're actively allocating then you know, we want to make sure that we're not going to encompass too much of the strategy. Yeah. And that's something that varies from asset class to asset class. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly those on, let's say, um, you know, SMID EM that, you know, two to three billion tops pretty much. And you're going to start seeing, you know, hard and soft close. And we realize those wonderful managers are going to, you know, ultimately close out, yeah. maybe even hitting, you know, their, before they hit their five-year track record. Um, same thing on, on the credit side of things. We have, you know, a relatively boutique manager there. Um, who plans on, you know, soft closing relatively soon, which, you know, we're thrilled to hear. But um, yeah, as far as, you know, that, that's really kind of how we determine, yeah. you know, boutique versus emerging, you know, no track record, no. But, um, you know, in the case of a manager who's going open up his own firm, um, you know, they're, they're ultimately, you know, doing another one and then building out the similar process, then, you know, we're a lot more comfortable and we've done that. So. Got it. That makes sense. All right. So you touched on the uh, seven voting member investment committee. Uh, give our listeners a little insight. What what's topical? Uh, bring us inside the doors, if you will, kind of thematically where you guys are seeing opportunities, and then kind of the golden question we all want to know: any current searches or needs? Over yeah, the next kind of nine to twelve months. Sure. Well, you know, on on the um, the current work, it's um, you know, a lot of asset allocation work. You know, figuring out where we want to be, you know, where our managers have moved. You know, that constant uh, refresh and and you know view into how are we positioned relative to our best ideas and so you know for example we had bumped up our allocation to blow investment grade bonds um at the end of last year early uh, this year and had just felt like you know compensation was really attractive and although spreads weren't at levels where you would typically see um or, you know weren't, weren't at levels i guess they were at levels that were more consistent with the default rates in history um we had felt like 50 percent of the you know assets um, within the high yield index in particular, triple C or lower, we would have private credit. And that's an enormous part of the default composition, you know, historically for high yield bonds. Uh, and so we, we, you know, felt like the, the risk had been, um, you know, quite a bit mitigated and it, we were getting compensated for that. And so, 
um, you know, moving forward, it's, you know, just a continuation of waiting for, uh, this, this economic downturn and, and seeing, you know, how, um, you know, much spreads are going to widen and hopefully, you know, make an even larger allocation when that time comes. Um, same thing on securitized and the same thing with duration. You know, we, um, we're, you know, a bit early, but, you know, fairly contrarian starting to buy, you know, some, some longer, you know, belly and longer, you know, type treasuries, um, for a lot of those more tact glass allocation decisions. Rather than going out and seeking a manager um, that's on the active side of things, we'll utilize ETFs to express those views. So really having a barbell approach, credit and securitized spread problem on the short end, long term, having that treasury exposure, that ballast, which um, you know, also if you know, we get the rate cuts and Convexi does its job, you know, it should be a nice you know, insurance policy there um, within our fixed income portfolio. Um, on the international front, I mean, EM has been front and center. We've done a lot of work there. Um, you know, I think many investors underappreciate just how diverse the emerging market economies are, um, very different from China. And, um, you know, we certainly have spent a lot of time thinking and, and learning about, you know, what's going on. And, um, we've, you know, even talked about, you know, should we select a manager who's going to allocate to EM X China? Um, but then we have to make a, a call on China and mm-hmm. that's not a decision that we think that, you know, we would have, you know, success with repeatedly, you know, over the long term. Um, not a ton on the domestic equity side of things you know, outside of our internal strategies, but as we get into next year, I think the rubber's going to be hitting the road when it comes to our alternative uh, game plan. And like I said, we've been really patient, um, thinking through all of our options and um, building a, a list of managers that we really felt were a great fit for what we were trying to do. And so I, I think in the you know, first, second quarter, we'll continue to, to build that out, firm that up. Um, figure out allocation. You know, we're doing a lot of census work internally to understand you know, what the appetite is from our client base. And um, last thing I want is to you know look back three to five years from now and say we should have done this differently, um, even though it's something that we haven't done before. And you know, measuring a million times before making yeah. that first cut. Awesome. Well, Tim, this is a, a phenomenal overview. Thank you so much for being here uh, live in the studio with us. It was a lot of fun. Um, so. Obviously, a great uh, $5 billion pool of capital here just outside of Philadelphia. So can't thank you enough. Yeah, Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed that insightful conversation with Tim. You can find this episode and past episodes on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast platform. We are also available on YouTube if you prefer to watch while you listen. If you would like to catch up on past episodes, check out our website at dakota.com. Finally, if you like what you're seeing and hearing, please be sure to like, follow, and share these episodes. We welcome your feedback as well. Thank you for investing your time with Dakota. Don't say goodbye.